You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, The New You. This series attempts to capture the essence of the new life given to us by Jesus, one not mastered by mistakes of the past, but a life of ultimate joy, peace, and freedom. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Our world is changing at a, at a staggering pace. There's all kinds of things. If you look around the landscape of our world, it's changing. Information is changing. Uh, scientists will tell you from 1960 to 1990 that all the information that we had previously, so the beginning of time to 1960, that information doubled between 1960 and 1990. Uh, just a wrap. I mean, so the time that, you know, music went from... Elvis and the Beatles to Millie Vanelli and Color Me Bad. In that span of time, information doubled. But from 1990 to 1995, it doubled again. And then it doubled again and doubled again. It's on a pace of doubling every two years. And scientists say that uh, very, very soon, the amount of information we will have will double on an annual basis. That, to put this kind of in picture terms... If, if a bite of information, a bite of information was a gallon of water, by 2030 we'll have enough information to fill all the oceans of the world. Information is changing rapidly. Information changing. Media is changing. Um, when I was, um, when I was um, younger, we had a, uh, there was a show called The Jetsons. I remember The Jetsons. It's about this way futuristic world, Right? And in, in this way, way futuristic world, they had these phones that were mobile, and they just weren't mobile, but they had a television on them, so you could see the people that you're talking to. And my five-year-old's like, what do you mean, like Skype? I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like Skype, way futuristic world. Uh, the number of choices are, are changing as well. There was a time where companies get away with just offering a choice, and so uh, Ford was quoted as saying, yeah, people can have any color car they want as long as it's black. And that business did well back then. Those businesses don't do well. The number of cars are endless. The number of choices, the number of transmissions, the number of detail, the options, the color, all kinds of things. It's not even just the color. It's not even just the cars that we have a choice of. It's the gas. You go to the gas station. And I mean, when did filling up your car uh, be turned into 20 questions. It's like, what kind of gas do you want? You know, uh, do you want credit or debit? Pay inside or out? Car wash or no car wash? You know, what's your zip code? Just give me some gas. It's all I want. I don't want to answer all these questions. I just, I just want a gallon or two of gas. Um, style is changing. Uh, it's meant to anyway. Uh, and so, uh, but everything in our world is changing. Now, the, the staggering thing, though, is while everything around us is changing... Um, Christians aren't changing. By and large, in America, uh, Christians aren't statistically much different than their non-believing neighbors, and it is an absolute travesty. Uh, What about you? Are are you changing? Are you becoming a, a different person? Because you can be a Christian, and you can carry all the tags with it. You can be born again, spirit-filled, water baptized, whatever you want to fill in there, and, and still not change. Uh, you can come here semi-regularly. You can come. You can do groups. You can serve. You can give money, but still 
not change. So why aren't Christians changing? Well, jot this down. We surveyed 100 people, and the top four answers are on the board. Name four things Christians do instead of changing. Number four, they get caught in ritual. Christians get caught in ritual. And I don't mean just kind of like dead religion, you know, smells and bells, that kind of thing. But what I mean is, you know, this is what I, this is, this is my Christianity. I go to church, I read my Bible, I support my missionary friend. I I just do Christian things, but I, I, I lust just like everybody else lust. I, I cheat like everybody else cheats. I, I covet things. I'm not really much different. So Christians substitute ritual for transformation. Or number three, we substitute debate. Uh, we substitute debate. I am staggered by the number of people uh, who have boiled down Christianity to an argument. And so what Christianity is, is I argue, I debate, I attack. My thing is that your thing is wrong. Now, newsflash, that's not a thing. If your thing is that her thing is wrong, you don't have a thing. You, you've got to be bearing fruit. You've got to be living for something. So number three, Christians substitute debate. Secondly, Number two answer, sentimentality. You substitute changing for sentimentality. So your faith is dance, date stamp, 1972, 1994, 2005, when I, was college, when I was in college, when I was single, when I was first married. You had this awesome thing with God, and now you're living on the fumes of that. You're living on, the, you know, oh, the, 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 those things that we used to do, those, those songs we used to sing, I just... Love those songs we used to sing. I love those things we used to do. Those were the days. But where are you with God today? How are you experiencing his power today? Sentimentality stunts the growth of so many. And the number one answer is simply apathy. You've got the fire insurance and that's all you really care about. So you have a few boundaries that you've built around sin that this is too far. But generally you just live any way that you want to live. Um, But biblical Christianity, which we're going to find out today, isn't simply a mental ascent to a belief that changes your eternal destiny, but it changes you now. It changes you now. And for those of us who do want to change, who do want to be uh, a new person, who want to walk in this newness of life, who, who, who want to uh, have what the scriptures talk about when it says things like, you know, we are more than conquerors and, and you know, we're, we're walking in this new life. Paul is, Paul is explaining, that's what Romans 6 is about. And I hope to make plain to you that if we do these things, if we walk in these things and believe these things, that we'll actually change, that we'll actually be different people, that we'll be different and we will feel different. So what do we need to do? Well, if you uh, look at your Bible there, you got your Bible there, uh, Romans 6, verse 5. It says, for if we have been united with him. Um, uh, we are, if we, so number one is that Paul seems to make a big deal about our identity with Christ. Uh, he does it in all of his writings. When we went through the Colossians series, we, we made a big deal of, of this identity about being in him. And in Romans, he's again is making a big deal. He talks about what is it, we, we are united in him. What does it mean to be united in Christ? Well, imagine, there's going to be a few analogies today. It's basically the whole message. That these, um, imagine somebody uh, who gets rich through hard work. 
Imagine that person. And this person, they went to school. They studied really hard. They got good grades. They were very ambitious. Uh, They got a good job, and they worked their way up the corporate ladder. They worked really, really hard, and they accumulated for themselves uh, a lot of wealth. And so um, riches came to this person through brilliance and hard work. And then one day he gets married, and he joins himself to this woman in marriage, and now his wife is rich as well. But how did she become rich? Legal union. Uh, She married the right person. Uh, Grace. She didn't earn that, but she became united with that person. Um, One person in the union did everything to get the wealth. The other person just was legally joined. And, but they were both rich. When you, um, how, how is it that Jesus sits in heavenly places? How is it that Jesus, you know, he's at the right hand and uh, he's inherited the world. He has everything. Well, you look at what Jesus accomplished. Look at his humility. Look at his sinless life. Look at how he defeated Satan. Look at how he, uh, uh, what he did on the cross, raising from the dead. Uh, he's the freedom and the power. He has earned the right to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. He has earned everything that he has. Now, what Romans 6 is saying is that those who have this union with Christ, those who have been legally bonded with Christ, he's done all the work. We just married the right person. Like, we, we just, we inherited all of this wealth because of, we didn't earn it, we didn't do the work, we're not smart, we're not brilliant, we're not any of those things. All we are is joined to him. And now because, because these things are true of Jesus, they are legally true of him. So if the father dotes on the son, he dotes on us. If the father looks at the son with, with pleasure and honor and gives him everything and draws him in close, he gives us everything and he draws us in close. We have this legal union. So that's what it means to be, in Christ, And this is all independent of our performance. That life in him in heaven is guaranteed. And that we didn't do anything to earn it. And we can't do anything to lose it. Which some people may say, well then, hey, let's eat and drink and be merry. If God's so good and he's just going to be good to us no matter what we do, why, why won't we just keep on doing whatever we want? Why don't we keep on sinning? And that's what Romans, actually, that, that's, Paul brings that up in this passage. Why shouldn't we, why, you know... Why don't we keep on sinning? Well, Paul answers that by essentially reminding us of, of who we are in Christ. And one of the things that he wants to tell us is that forgiveness is just the beginning. So in, in this union, that being with Christ, that forgiveness is just the beginning of our life in Christ. Romans, uh, if you turn back there to Romans 6 verse 5, it says, For we've been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified in him so that the body of sin might be brought to what? What's that say? Nothing. Nothing. So we, he wants to count this record of of sin uh, not against us because of Christ. So forgiveness is just the beginning. And it is an awesome, awesome thing. The purpose of our identifying with the Christ's death is for our forgiveness and for most people. Christians are very, very familiar uh, with this, which is great news, which is I have failed miserably and I deserve punishment, but I get a pardon. But that's not the whole story. Uh, and, and the reason why Christians don't change is they, they stop just at the beginning. Forgiveness is just the beginning of our life 
in Christ. And that is why, and I'm not judging anyone for this, um, we don't have any crucifixes hanging up uh, in our building. I don't wear a crucifix. I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone wearing a crucifix. And the, uh, if you don't know what a crucifix is, it's not just a, a picture of the cross. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross. But he ain't on the cross. How many of you know that he's like alive? How many you know that? Do you know that? He's not in the cross. He, he's not on the cross. Uh, he's, uh, the death was just the beginning and not the end. Now don't misunderstand me. We love the cross. We celebrate it every week. We take communion. We, we love the fact that you know, his blood was spilt. His body was broken on our behalf. But that was the Friday part. What was the Sunday part? He rose from the dead. He's alive now. And check this out. He wants to live his life through you and me. He wants to live his life through you and me. This is the full glory of the gospel. For if we have been united in him in a death like his. So we we want to identify with his death because we want forgiveness of our sin. We shall certainly be united in him in a resurrection like this. So we are connected to his death. That's why we have forgiveness. And we are connected to his life. That's why we can be these new people. He wants to live his life through us. That's why it says that we are the body of Christ. When you hear things like, what does that mean? It means his life, his, his life in ministry continues through us. That when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is everything that he said he was, his death becomes your death so that you never, ever, 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 ever have to pay for your sin and that his burial became your burial, uh, that your sin is six feet under. And that's why it says in Romans 8 that there's now no condemnation for, their, for those who are in Christ. Why is there no condemnation? Because your sin is buried. He took your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west and and we are raised with Christ. And the life that I now live, I live to God. Death and sin have no dominion over me anymore. In this life I live, I live to God. And as a side note, this is why Paul says earlier in the chapter, he says, this is the reason for your baptism. Don't you remember in your baptism? So when you got baptized, um, you went, uh, you went underwater. And the reason why you went, you were plunged underwater is because, uh, what do you do when, with the dead corpse? You bury, yeah, you bury a dead corpse. Not your question. Throw uh, it in my trunk? Uh, no, you bury it. And, um, and that's, what hap- that's what symbolizes in baptism, that you died with Christ so that old life is dead. So you bury it, your sin is buried, and then, you, and then in your baptism, you came up out under the, you came out, out under the water, you were raised up, uh, signifying, symbolizing that you have been raised with Christ. So that was the purpose of your baptism. So when they're asking the question, should we keep on sinning? Don't you know what's happened to you? That old life is dead. And it's buried. It's not just counted against you. But that life is something that you don't want. That's why you repented. That's why you said, I don't want that life anymore. Don't you remember? And now you've risen to new life. And the life that he has, the life that you think is ultimate, the life that you want to go after, that's why you're called a Christian. You want to be like Christ. This life that you want is possible because Christ is going to live in you. 
And what that means is that our life is plugged, excuse me, Jesus' life is, that is right, our life is plugged into the life of Jesus. That he lives through it. Let me say it this way. God has made no provision in and of yourself to live the Christian life. Um, He has made no provision in and of yourself to live the Christian life. If you're trying to change in your own strength, you ain't changing, yo. It's just not happening. That is self-help. That is religious thinking. That is counter-gospel. And it's not only powerless, but it's robbing you of your freedom. God has not made you somehow material, uh, materially uh, different. Uh, so now that you can live a Christian life apart from him, that's what Paul's going to say later in Romans, which is living by the flesh. If you see that term in the Bible, what does it mean to live by the flesh? It means that you're trying to somehow please God in and of your own effort as opposed to what the Bible would say, living by the Spirit. That's why Paul says things like he says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. The Christian life isn't you doing Christian things. It's look at me, I'm Christianing, I'm, I'm serving, I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm doing those things. That's what the Bible say, living in the flesh and it's death. It's, it's not what you're meant to be, but what the Christian life is, it's the power of God. The same power that, ri- that rose Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. This, this dynamite, this dynamos lives inside of us calling us to live this amazingly new life. And I think that a lot of us, when we come to Jesus, we just have very, 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 very low goals. Uh, We want to be inspired. Um, We want to remove the guilt. We want to, you know, have our kids exposed to positivity. And, but he has so much more for us to live in. And if you don't get that, you'll never live the life. Uh, when C.S. Lewis has a, a statement, a long quote, that's really helped me to understand and, and illustrate for me when I've just settled into this, like a low-level life in Christ. He says this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that these jobs need to be needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace that he himself plans to come in and live. One of the things I just want to encourage you today is just to get rid of your low goals in Christianity. Don't think it's about just not doing a few really bad things. Don't think of it as just doing a little bit of, you know, serving here a little bit, uh, going to church a little bit, reading your Bible a little bit, you know, listen to Christian music, that, that, that's what it means. He has so much bigger things than that for you. He wants to make you a part, uh, I don't have time to go on this, about not just the renewal of you, but the renewal of all things. 
He's invited into you something amazing. He's invited us into something amazing. He wants to make you a completely different person and have you feel and experience a power that you've never experienced. He wants you to experience an inner peace that you've never experienced. He wants you to experience a joy that you've never experienced. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says here that we, need, we are called to live out our identity. He says you need to know who you are. You need to know your identity. Um, Donald Barnhouse is a, is a pretty awesome Bible commentator, and he tells a story about a U.S. soldier who was sentenced to death. And this U.S. soldier, this is during the Latin American Revolution, this, this U.S. soldier was getting ready to be um, killed by firing squad. And they, the, the, you know, they, the, the soldiers lined up and they had their guns pointed at him. And, you know, the guy giving the order uh, was, said, ready, aim. And then at the last minute, this U.S. general comes riding in and he takes, he takes an American flag and he drapes it over this soldier. And he says, do you not know who this man is? If you harm this man, you will invoke the wrath of a nation. And, what, and then he says to the soldier, he said, after they went away, he says to the soldier, go and live in the freedom and the peace that's been given to you. Here's what Romans 6 is saying. Is that the Father has taken Jesus Christ and in, in front of certain death, eternal death, he has wrapped us in Jesus. And he says to every principality and power, do you know who this is? This one is mine. And then he says to us, Go and live in the freedom and the power and the joy and the love that has been won for you. That is what God has called us into. Our old self has been crucified with him in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing. The power of sin has been broken in your life. Now, some of you may say, well, Brian, you know, I, I, I would use a lot of words to describe s- the power of sin in my life, and dead would not be one of them. It feels like sin is all around me, and it's pulling me down, and it's pulling me down. Well, here's another analogy. If you can imagine a big oak tree, big oak tree, um, and around its base was a vine that was planted. And over time, this vine just came up and just covered this oak tree. Completely covered. You couldn't even see the bark. It just covered. You know, can you see that? Can you see this big oak tree with all this vine around it? Um, and that's sin in our life. That we're this tree and sin has grown up and it just covered us. You can't even see the bark. Well, when you, when you came to Christ... God came and he, at the very root of this vine, took an axe and he cut it. He absolutely severed it. Now let me ask you a question. In the moment that God, that the root was severed of that vine, was it dead? Yes, it was dead. Now, it may be covered around you. It may be, it may feel, you may feel the pressure of the sin. It may be all around you. But you got to know 
This is so important. You have got, I can't make this personal for you. You can, you're the only one who can make this personal. You've got to know in God that the power of that sin is dead. You have to believe it. You have to believe that on the cross that the, the throat of the enemy was mortally slit and this, that God took an act to the power of sin. And so the first step in changing and growing and becoming the new you is that uh, your faith that you must consider that the power of sin is dead and that you are alive in Christ. You've got to know who you are. You've got to believe that. You've got to make this personal. You've got to have faith in this area. You must say, well, how do I have faith in this area? Well, how did you come to faith in being a Christian? Well, Romans 10.9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your what? Okay, Colossians 2.6 says that as you've come to the Lord Jesus, so you must walk in him. You've got to believe in your heart And I think you've got to confess with your mouth that you are dead to sin. What are you saying, Brian? You're saying if I just say the words that this power of sin will be... Well, no, the power of sin is already broken. You've got to believe it, and I believe you've got to confess it. I think you have to say, this is not true of me anymore. Romans 6.11 says this. It says... Romans 6 is 11, 6, 11 is awesome because up until now, for the first six and a half chapters of Romans, it's all been, do you know, 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 not one command. And then in verse 11, we get a command. So in light of all of that, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Uh, that word consider is an accounting word that means to put in the right column. And if, I don't know if we, we've got a few accountants here. If, if an accountant puts uh, a number in the wrong column, bad things happen. That, you know, they, they may get in trouble, but at the very least, um, it just, a, a company that's doing well may look bad, and a company that's doing bad may look good. It, it messes everything up when an accountant puts it in the wrong column. And let me just say that you and I mess everything up when we don't put ourselves in the right column. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That we are, that we are saints in Christ Jesus. We're, we're not sinners in Christ Jesus. That's, that's who we used to be. But we are now made saints in Christ. We got to put ourselves in the right column. So we have to live out our identity, knowing who we are, in two We have to say no to sin at the point of temptation. And this is what the scriptures say. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Here it is. Do not present your members to sin. So we have a choice. At every moment of of temptation, so when we're tempted to sin in the moment... We have, to, we have to choose to say no to that. We have to believe. We have to confess. Hey, you know, when you're standing in front of that computer, you have to say no. You have to say no to lust. I'm dead to lust. I'm dead to that sin. I'm dead to materialism. I'm dead to pride. I'm dead to anger. I'm dead to insecurity. That's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. I'm dead to that and I'm alive in Christ. And you have a, you have a struggle 
There's something in your life that feels like it's got a power over you. And I just want to encourage you that to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that this is not, this issue is not, you're, you're not powerless. But you need to stand, this is what the Bible says, you've got to stand firm on the word of truth. It starts with a belief in your heart, it rolls into confession, and then finally it rolls into a choice that you choose not to do this. And you can do this. You can absolutely do this. And and you're going to struggle. I have struggles. Um, I I would say one of my biggest struggles, um, somebody may have, may object to this, uh, may say there's a bigger struggle, but one of the things that I see in myself is I'm not patient and I'm prone to overreact. I'm not patient and I'm prone to react. So the worst possible situation for me to get into is... Um, getting on the phone with some big company's customer service. That's probably like the worst possible situation. And so a couple months ago, I got a new mortgage and uh, I overpaid uh, that mortgage, that escrow in the mortgage by $455.92. Um, if it sounds like I'm careful with money, it's because I am. And so I, uh, I don't know if that's a big deal to you. $455 is a big deal to me. And so I made a mention of this to the mortgage company, and they said, okay, here's the problem. This is why that happened. Don't worry about it. I'll get corrected. So a few weeks later or whatever, I come back a month later, and I say, hey, this problem's still not fixed. And um, they're like, oh, well, this is the, the, uh, this is the real reason. Like the first reason wasn't right, but this is the real reason, and, and it'll be fixed. And so last week, it's been a couple months now, last week, still not fixed. Um, so now I, I call the company and they're like, well, your loan got sold and I can't do anything about it now. <laughs> oh, really? And so you have to call some, you know, major bank thing. And so he's like, oh, geez. So I call, I call this um, company. And, uh, well, the first mistake that I made was that I, I, I made this call 10 minutes before I had an appointment, which... Uh, was um, a, a huge error. I, I should not have budgeted 10 minutes. I should have budgeted a week. I should have budgeted uh, a lot more than 10 minutes. That was my first mistake. And so I, I get on the phone, and, you know, of course, they're like, you know, press 1 to open an account. You know, that's not what I want. You know, press 2 to, uh, you know, hear about a rewards program. And I'm just like, zero, zero, zero. I want to talk to a person, like, you know, you know, that you've, I'm sorry, that's not a valid option. I hit zero again. That's not a valid option. I hit zero again. It's not a, what do you, how can we help you? I want to talk to a person. So I get to the person and they, they say, we'd like to ask you a few questions, which means 35. Uh, you know, what's your name? What's your address? What's your account number? What's your social security? What's your birthday? And then at the end of that, it says, it looks like this is an issue that I can't solve. So I'm going to have to transfer you to another department. Now, it's in that moment that I wish, that I wish that we still had one of those old school phones that looked like a rhombus that with a cord that you, you know, that you, there's a thing and you hang down because I wanted to slam it because you can't slam an iPhone. You can't, I mean, you can press that red button really hard, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have the same effect as slamming the phone so they can hear it on the other line. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I pressed that red button really hard. 
after they told me they're going to transfer to the next apartment. Oh, here's the thing. Um, I just blew it. I blew it. The, this old self of, that's impatient in an ungodly way, not just impatient, um, prone to overreact, meaning anger. Prone to overreact is like a nice way of saying it gets anger. Um, at the point of temptation, in order to grow, I need to learn to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that I'm dead to that. And not present my emotions, my sarcasm, wit, whatever you want to call it, in those moments for sin. Augustine was an early church father, and he had, if you know about him, he had a well-documented lust issue. He um, was like, you know, kind of like in the realm of Solomon, just slept with lots and lots and lots of women before he came to Christ. And one day he, sold, he saw an old mit- mistress um, as he was walking down the street. An old mistress comes this way and she stops him and says, Augustine, you know, hey, let's go have a- an affair. And he v- says, you know, nice to see you. No, thank you. You know, nice to see you, but no. And he starts to walk away and she says, well, maybe he didn't recognize And so she yells out, Augustine, it is I. And he turns around and says, I know, but it is not I. She said, it's me. Augustine said, yeah, but it's not me. What he's saying is I used to have, I used to have to have female companionship, but I'm dead to that. That's not who I am anymore. And I'm alive to Christ. In your moments of anger. And anger yells out to you. Hey, it's me. You can yell back. But yeah, it's not me though. I'm dead to that. I'm alive to Jesus. When you're given in to insecurity and false pride and jealousy and covetedness and it screams out to you in the street hey it's me you can yell back yeah but it's it's not me I'm dead to that I'm alive in Christ when lust when anything any sin calls out your name and sin will call out your name and beckon you to come to them, you can say, you can believe in your heart, and you can confess with your mouth that that's not me anymore. I'm alive in Christ. And you do not have to present yourself. You do not have to present your members for unrighteousness. But you can present yourself, present your members for righteousness, 
and walk in the new you that God has called you to be.